welcome to Stories from the Pitch, a podcast dedicated to creating a living oral history about street performing and some of the crazy characters who populate this world. I'm Magic Brian, your host for this growing collection of interviews. This episode is an interview Al Miller did with Greg Frisbee back in 2017. Greg was hanging out at Al's house in Saugustown Heights, which is just outside of Boston. Greg tells Al all about a start as a magician working in Harvard Square before moving west to San Francisco and putting down roots for many years. They talk about how much Harvard Square has changed over the years from a very workable pitch to what it is today. Greg talks about doing shows at Pier 39, performing at fairs, his rubber chicken show, which is no longer new as they mentioned in the interview, but the main show he's been doing, and the joys of traveling with unusual props, including the trials and tribulations of traveling with a rubber chicken cannon. Something I think we all need in our lives. He shares a very interesting story about performing at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and they also talk about how although his actual name is Frisbee, and is arguably a great stage name, no actual Frisbees are used in his show. It's just his last name. Enjoy the conversation. So, you're in Fiji. Yeah, so I'm in Fiji, and this is uh, so it was a gig called the Fiji Showcase. And so the, the guy who booked it was this guy, Shane, and uh, he brought in usually three acts. Um, just to, like... To come and perform. It was like this this gig where they took over like the Vodafone Arena. It was like a big arena show. Huh. And they, he set up this stage for everybody to come to. And it was like the ricketiest stage you've ever been on. It's like just held up by rafters. You know, it's like held up by like metal poles. How many people were there in an arena? Um, <clears throat> well, we just took over one part of the arena, but it was probably like three to 4,000 people at a show. Right. And you would do two or three shows in the day. Oh, right. All right. And so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was just one of those gigs where it was just like, oh, yeah, I'll come down to Fiji and do this gig. It yeah. wasn't like a pass-the-hat gig, but I was out there. Uh, that's how I met Mama Lou, actually, was during mm-hmm. that gig. Mm-hmm. And then they brought in the speed painter the year that I was there. Oh, all right. And so John Hicks? Was, no, it was uh, Brad Blaze. Oh, cool. uh, and he was based out of, I think he's based out of Australia. And um, so we're doing this gig, and, and you know, the, the leader of Fiji had been removed by this military coup. You what know? was this? Well, I'm not sure when the military coup happened, but this is probably eight or so years ago was the gig that we did. Right. And uh, maybe even more at this point. Yeah, I've heard that happened more than once. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) the leader of the military coup came to our shows one day. So he met with me backstage with me and the the other guy who had brought us in, this guy Shane. (laughs) And he's like, so I'm going to be in your audience today. Don't... uh, don't make note of me being there. Right. I'll be there with my grandkids. Hmm. But he's like, there's people who want to assassinate me. Wow. And uh, just don't call me out. Don't point me out. Don't use my grandkids for the show. Um, he's like, I'm wearing a bulletproof vest just in case. He's just like, okay, holy crap. <laughs> you know? Damn. So did you bring him up on stage? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. But uh, I think the speed painter painted a picture of him, like oh. you know, even though he wasn't supposed to. Nice. It's like, oh, who is this? Who is this a picture of? <laughs> it's just it's like, this is our leader. Oh, that's <laughs> cool. What year did you start performing? Uh, nine, well, I started performing in 1993. You've been doing, like, tricks and stuff? Yeah, I was doing, like, what? close-up magic. I see. And, you know, I got... A start in Harvard Square. Didn't have any idea what I was doing. You know, what brought you to, like, doing magic and stuff? Um, I did it as a kid. You know, it was just, right. like, a, a hobby, you know. Uh, yeah. I was pretty shy as a kid, so I picked up magic as a hobby. Right. Um, I had no inclination to ever perform or anything. And right. then I, I saw my first street performers in, like, 92, I think. Here in Boston? Yeah. Who did you see? Um, 
Peter Sosna was out on the streets. Yeah, magician. A magician. Um, you know, I think I saw, you know, Peter Panic was out there, Mark Farneth, mm-hmm. the gym show. Um, nice. You know, there was a magician named Sam who was out there. Sonny oh, Holiday was out there. Yeah, Sonny Holiday? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, but what was cool is, like, you know, I didn't have any idea how to put together a show or anything. Right. You know, but... Uh, and, and the, there, any of those guys help you out? Yeah, there was like that camaraderie at the end of the night. Like we'd sit around and they'd be like, oh, you know, this was good, that was bad, don't do this, you know, don't say that. Were you working the, the pitch or the, the alcoves or what? Uh, yeah, like there was the like the WGBH store used to be out there. Right. And there was like those little storeway entrances, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I would go out there and just try to do a little close-up show. Magic. Yeah. That's magic. And so I brought nice. a bar, I would carry a bar stool on the train with me and just into this. I had like a little briefcase. I would just do all these little goofy card tricks and stuff. And, yeah. Cool. Uh, but then I saw circle shows like that first time we're out there. I was like, oh, I want to, I want to do that. Right. I want to have juggle and yeah. eat fire. And that's when fire was still allowed everywhere in the city. And, right, right. You could juggle fire at Harvard yeah. Square, yeah. Until the tree got lit on fire. I think they, there was a tree in Harvard Square that got caught on fire and they tried to blame it on Peter Panic, I think, at one point. Really? But it wasn't him? No. Oh, no. Because he would always be riding around with his torches, you know, and he was be on his unicycle. He'd be kind of like starting a show by riding around with his, his unicycle, holding the torches in the air. Right, right. And they wanted to and say And then somehow, like some punch or something, you know, somebody lit the tree on fire. Right. And they just, you know, they said it was... And them. then they banned it. Yeah. Harvard Square, back in the day. Back in the day when it was magic. Right. Yeah, I remember it being magic. When I first came to town, like, 98, it was, like, it was epic. Yeah. you have been there for a while by then, well, I guess. I, I, well, I started doing magic in 93, and then I took, like, two years off and learned mm. to juggle and eat fire. So I came back on the scene in, like, 96. Right. And I was doing an upside-down straitjacket act and juggling. And How did you hang upside down? Uh, I had a tripod that I had built, yeah. uh, which was ridiculously heavy. It was made out of, like, steel. Right. I went to, like, a, a, a gym, like, manufacturing, like, equipment company. Right. And so they built me, like, this overly built thing. Uh, and it was a massive, but about, about 100 pounds Jeez. to wheel this thing around. Yeah, so I was doing that in Harvard Square, and then, uh, yeah, it was just magic during those days. There was so many, there was so many people you couldn't even get cars through. Yeah. Weekend, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I used to I used to live at Central Square, and I would just jump on the tee for one stop, and I'd go to Harvard, and I do I do show the Fanny Hall in the daytime, and then at nighttime catch a cab over. And yeah, that's what most people seem to do. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't feel confident enough with my show that I didn't ever really even audition at Fanny Hall. I auditioned once, and I didn't do juggling. I said, oh. There's too many jugglers. Too many jugglers. So I'll do something totally different. Yeah? <laughs> Magic? No, I did a puppetry thing. Oh. Thinking, oh, I'll get in with this puppetry thing. <laughs> and you didn't get in? No. Oh, no. And uh, I remember Cyrus was just, like, talking to me afterwards. He's like, what are you doing? Like, why didn't you just do your show? You would have right. you would have gotten in no problem. And then right. you did this thing. Like, what was that? You, and know? you never went back? No. Um... Because I think I auditioned, must have been the year that you came out, like 98. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I moved to San Francisco in 99. Right. And so I just focused on building my show out on the West Coast at right, that point. Right, right. Yeah, I guess I only remember meeting you back then, and then you were gone, and I didn't really realize, because I wasn't here all that much back right, then. Right, You know, I was, uh, you know, I'd only come in for a month or two or whatever, start of the year, end of the year. Yeah, I remember Gazzo brought you in, I think, the first time, right? Like the first, I remember um, the first day, he's like, oh, there's... Yeah, this is Al, you know. Uh, I think I was hanging out with Panay, actually. You remember Panay, oh, the yeah. puppet guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah, uh, I'd been in New York City. And he, my... Is it the same Panay who does the, the Croatia, the, yeah. the Busker Festival? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. totally. Panay Timov. Yeah. Um, I talk to him every year, and then 
I he wants you to, to come? I, well, I always have to back out for some reason because right. something else happened. Because a better gig, like any other gig, <laughs> comes along. Yeah, so... But I, I always try to go because I'm like, that would be a fun gig. Like, whether, right, there's, right. whether there's money or not, it just sounds fun to go. Yeah, yeah. You know? In a strange country. Of course, there's always mixed reports about that gig. <laughs> well, I, what I've heard is that it's fun while you're there. Yeah. Just don't plan to take any of the money right, out. Right, right. Spend it like while you're there. Spend it while you're there and you'll live like a king and people will love you. and Right. But as soon as you take it out, it's like you could buy a beer with it. <laughs> Yeah, I did a gig like that in uh, Slovenia where the money was worth not much at all. I mm. think I was there a week. And you just make piles and piles of money. Like like every every denomination is a bill. So there's no coins. Even the denom- the coin denomination is like five cents, one cent. That's all bills. Wow. So when you get your hat, you get a, cat, you get a, you get a garbage bag to take <laughs> it home. Uh, but most of it's like, you know, I think the biggest hat I did there must have been like 260 euros, like equivalent. Wow. But it was like an enormous <laughs> amount of money. Filling up a pillowcase. With yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I think they have That's the euro funny. there now. But, uh, yeah, it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> it, took, it took much longer to, pull, to straight out all the money than it did to do the show. Right. Yeah. Just one show, you know. <laughs> One show here, it'd take you 10 minutes, 15 minutes to straighten it out. But, yeah, it's yeah. always funny, those denominations. Sometimes you get those randomly in your hat anywhere, right? Like, yeah. You get this note. I get this note from India or something. Right. Like that, and it's like 20000 something or other. Like, that's going to be worth like yeah. 50 bucks. It's like, oh, $2. Yeah, yeah I've gotten <laughs> so much, so many different ones. I mean, one of everything, basically. I got some from Russia the other day. Oh, five yeah. whatevers. Like thanks, <laughs> I think I'll be street performing in Russia anytime soon. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. So you were born Greg Frisbee. That's your real name. That's it. Yeah. Gregory. What do you have a middle name? Walter. Walter Frisbee. <laughs> Did you ever think about going by Walter Frisbee? <laughs> well, my dad was Walter. Right. And my grandfather was Walter. Right. And I thought about it at one point. I thought, oh, maybe I could go by Walt, like Walt Frisbee. I thought like Walt Disney. Mm. Kind of had like a oh, there's kind of a flow there. Like people might associate it, it with like something fun. Or... It does sound like a stage name. Right. It's funny that that's your real name. Yeah. Did you ever think about having a different stage name? I did. When I first started, like I, I tried to think of all these different names. Right. And I was just like, oh, I'm gonna go by. Whatever. I don't even remember at this right. point some of the names. I, I think I have them in a notebook somewhere. So I brainstorming all these like performing names. It's like being born like <laughs> Joey Basketball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I remember, I, I think it was Jim who said to me, he's just like, why don't you just go by your name? Like, go by Greg Frisbee. It's a right. great stage name, you know? Yeah. And uh, I don't even remember what I was trying to think of. It was some ridiculous like names that had nothing to do with Frisbee at all. Right, right. You know? And Jim always had a good way with branding and... Yeah. Website and promo and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. So when when so you you were Greg Frisbee right from the beginning? No, like that's why I <laughs> uh, I think I tried to have different names in the beginning. I think once I started doing my juggling show, right? I went by you know Greg Frisbee and started calling it the Frisbee Show, which was a mistake I think. But because of the gym show. Well, but, it was, but it's also just like oh, it's the Frisbee Show. Oh, doing Frisbees. Stuff with Frisbees. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you know I think that. Like I, my website is frisbeeshow.com, and when I write to people, try to get gigs, they're like, oh, we, we, don't need a frisbee, we don't need a frisbee act. It's like, well, frisbee I guy. I don't do anything with frisbees at all. Like, there's no frisbees in the show at all. It's just my name. Oh, man, that sucks. Yeah. Maybe you so, should uh, 
Um, and I didn't come out too often because I was living on the South Shore at that time, and I would come in on the weekends or something. Yeah. I wasn't out there every night. It was a it was a pitch that I heard about when I was in Australia, mm. Harvard Square. Like you heard about Fanny Hall as well. There's right. different places you hear about Covent Garden, you hear about the one in Paris, you know, the, and the Rambles in Barcelona. You hear about all these places in Harvard Square. It was one of them. Right. And uh, it was it was all that. Like it was good. It was it was massive. It was a scene. Well, you could go out there and there would be you know three people on the main pitch. Yeah. And then there would be a couple people up the street working a secondary pitch. Yeah. Then you had four in between four magicians up the yeah. sidewalk. You know you had the guitar players that are out there rotating their pitch. Yeah. Uh, there was the band across the street who actually went on to make some uh, make some money. It was Guster who was playing across the street. Right. Yeah. And then you know then you had Igor the puppeteer working his own little pitch across there. the street. So yeah. Like, and everybody was working at one time. Yeah. You know it's like it was packed. Yeah. There there was enough money yeah. and enough flow of people that there was a, there was constantly four shows five shows happening at any given yeah. time. Yeah. You know. It was, it was pretty amazing. It's crazy. Because thinking that, like, there's not that much space there. Like, there's a street running right through it. Right. You know? Um, like, in your brain, when you hear about Harvard Square, you think of a big open square. But it isn't. No, there's it's not that There's just little big. pockets, you know, of, of space. And uh, and to get that space, you got to get there early. And all the, all the stores there were cool. And Harvard was there. And the people were just hang around there it was a scene like you'd see the same people every day and they were smart people yeah. though. like they enjoyed the shows and they were just like yeah. it was an intelligent crowd you know yeah. uh, so I think what happened to Harvard Square is that, um, obviously the rent all went up right. all the cool stores could no longer be there anymore and suddenly there's five banks and right. then, you know it's not that cool anymore. People aren't hanging out there. Right. Whereas uh, in the last few years, the scene seems to be coming back, but there was a long time where it just wasn't good to perform at Harvard Square anymore. Right. I think in the last 10 years, I've probably only done a dozen shows there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in the beginning, I was there every year. Oh, yeah. You could yeah. work it all the time. Yeah. I'd say for the first seven years straight, I was like always said, doing Harvard. People would work fanual during the day, mm-hmm. and then they would head over to, to Harvard at night and get two or three shows in. Yeah. And you could work till midnight. Yeah. And it was like, you could say, shit. And, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, there's no rules. Yeah, Faneuil Hall was like a little bit clean. And and, and even then, Faneuil, I don't think you could do fire at Faneuil still. Right. Because the rules had already switched with no fire at Faneuil. No fire, yeah. So, but you could go and do fire at yeah. Harvard Square. So you could almost have like two different yeah. kind of vibes of show, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you never re-auditioned at Fanny Hall, eh? Until what, this year? Until now, like last year. I, well, I was living on the West Coast for 15. What made you move out there? Like, why did you leave Boston? Um, at the time, I, I, I thought, like, I, I don't like winter that much, and I want mm. to be able to work year-round. Yeah. Um, and I thought, you know, where where in the United States could I go to work that has, like, a vibrant street scene, and then I could work on my show? And, mm-hmm. you know, San Francisco had the circus school, Right. It was the only full-time training that was happening there, so I went out there and took a couple classes. Yeah. Um, they had, like, a juggling meetup every week for, like, two or three hours every Sunday night, so you could just, like, kind of hang out and juggle with other people. I mean, San Francisco is, is a city full of artists. Yeah. You know? And there was there was a scene for whatever you wanted to do, you yeah. know? And, and street theater's been going on there since the 70s. Yeah. And there's a lot of workable pitches out there, and you can work in January, February, mm-hmm. March, where Boston... Yeah. You know, six months of winter, you know? Yeah, yeah. And if, I mean, now I do a lot of stuff on the road, and I do a lot of the fairs and festivals on the road, mm-hmm. but when I was first starting out, I'm like, I want to work, yeah. I, and street was what I had. Yeah. 
Did so, you know anyone out there when you went? No, I knew no. nobody. I, I packed my car and drove car cross country. Nice. And I didn't know anybody out there. And just and, went, hey, I heard about Pier 39. Yeah. And, and the kind of the uh, ambassador of San Francisco was Fred Anderson. Do you know right. Fred Anderson? Oh, yeah. I mean, Fred is like, just welcomes every performer who comes into town. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, let me show you around. Let me take you here. Let me introduce you to so-and-so. Oh, come to, come to juggling night. Hey, come out and hang out with me on pitch. We'll go do shows nice. together. Like, yeah, he's a good totally, guy. totally open to kind yeah. of just like hanging out. You know? I was hanging out with Paul Nathan when I was there. Is it, was he around then? Yeah, Paul was out there. Paul is still out there. There's a lot of there's a lot of cool people out there. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the Raspini brothers who are out there. Frank Olivier. Uh, Frank Olivier is out there. Yeah. Um, and working the street at the time was uh, Pete Sweet was working the streets. Oh yeah. Um, Eric Cash and um, oh, what's his name? I can't think of his. Um, he went by the a, con, a confusionist. Confusionist. And he, and he did like the really crazy bike tricks and did a straight jacket escape. Oh. I can't think of his name off the top of my oh, head cool. right now. Um, but yeah, there was people working out the circle pitch there. Uh, yeah, I only ever worked out front. Like, I never did Pier 39. Right. I came through, I must have gone through in like 2001 when I was with the Bindlestiff Circus. And, okay. uh And there was a couple of days there where we were spending in San Francisco and I went and found that pitch. Right. Where you could just work out front. Right, which and, was uh, now gone. Nobody works there anymore. Really? The, the musicians took it over. They kind of tried to... Uh. I mean, you can still work it occasionally, but they've opened up the sidewalks. They made really wide sidewalks down right. the backside now. Uh-huh. And there's actually four, I think three or four different places that you can do, like, kind of circle shows. Is there still a million bum statues there, or what? Um, not as many as there Silver used to guys? Be. Yeah. Silver guys with crate, knives? Crate slugs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, there's not too many of them. I mean, they're still out there, but not nearly as predominant right. as they used to be. What about the Bushman? I haven't seen the Bushman in a long time. Right. I'm sure he's still out there, too. Wasn't there two Bushmen? There was. There was. I think he tried to franchise the idea out. You know, he tried to sell I don't know it. if anyone's ever talked about the Bushman on, on a podcast, so tell tell us about the, the Bushman. The Bushman is it's the most bizarre... I, I'm not entirely sure how he even makes money doing the Bushman right. act, yeah. but it's this guy who sits on a, on a milk crate... And he surrounds himself with, like, shrubbery branches. Right. And then as people are walking by, he just scares the crap out of them. <laughs> they don't see him? That's the amazing thing about it. They it's do like see people are, No, they don't. Like, they're so oblivious to it. Right. And, like, you don't, like, walk down the sidewalk and be like, oh, why is there a bush in the middle of the sidewalk? Right. Somehow you just gloss over the idea and, and then, you're okay with that. Like, in your mind, I guess you're just like, oh, there's a bush there. And he just yells at them. Screams at them and freaks them out, yeah. and then people kind of gather around to say, "Oh, you know, he scared the crap out of me. I'm going to watch I'm him, scare, watch him the scare someone crap else out of somebody else." Right. And then I guess he was like, "Oh, I saw him scare somebody. I guess I'll give that guy a few bucks or whatever." Like I'm not sure exactly. Did he have a bucket or something? Yeah, or? like a little tip jar out there, okay. like a little coffee can, but right. not like never did like a hat pass or anything. Right. Right. And yeah. so what, did someone steal it, or did, did he, like, teach someone how to do it? <laughs> I, there's a couple rand, There's a couple different stories that are out there, and I'm not sure which one's the real one. Mm. So it's just like urban legend, you know? <laughs> uh, but there was, a, there was the urban legend that he was actually, he used to be like a shoe salesman. Right. Or he was going to be a shoe salesman, and he decided to try to franchise the idea out. Right. And so he sold the idea to somebody, was the story that I heard. Mm. Um, sold it. Wow, I wonder how much he got for it. I don't know. More <laughs> than a coffee can, I hope. 
Yeah, for real. Wow. Well, did you do like Zinzani or anything like that? I never there? performed at Zinzani, but I, right. I went to it and checked yeah. it out. Frank was performing there, right? Yeah, not not Frank. Um, was Michael Davis doing it? Michael Davis, I think, was doing it. Right. So he was doing it for a while. Yeah. As like the, the funny waiter kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was a pretty good show. Yeah. They got, they got forced out a couple of years ago. Right. Because of uh, the boat race that was coming through, I think bought up all the empty available spaces that they could. Oh, uh, really? I so think that, it was a little theater, right? Eh? Yeah, they built like a like mm. a Spiegel tent right, right there, right. on the water. Yeah, and I think they got that taken away from them. No, oh, that's a shame. It was too bad because it was really nice when you're going down the waterfront. You see the Spiegel tent, which is permanently right, there. right. Isn't, nice. there, uh, isn't there a Zinzani in um, Seattle? I think, yeah, that's the only one. That there was the two of them, right? There was okay. Seattle and San Francisco, and now I think there's just Seattle. Right, right, right. But I don't know how that one's... I haven't heard about it for a while. Right. So you were doing shows in San Francisco, like, and uh, and how did you get... You, you started doing, like, fares and cruise ships or what? Yeah, so I, I was doing the pier from 99 um, until now, basically. I still do it, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess about eight years ago or nine years ago, I started doing like state and county fairs. Mm-hmm. Did that all just come from one gig? You started off doing one. Yeah, I started. Kind of I, I made a I made a choice that I wanted to still do street and busker festivals and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I was looking for like that consistent paycheck. Right, San right, San Francisco is right. a very expensive city. Yeah, yeah. And it's just nice to say, okay, I have this guaranteed contract work, and then I can do whatever else around it. Where'd you live? I lived different places around the city. I lived on Hate Street for a while, mm-hmm. um, you know, Inner Sunset, Coal Valley, over by Japantown, a few different right. places around. And yeah. then I lived in Santa Cruz for a while and kind of drove up. Cool. So kind of all over the place. Santa Cruz is cool. I love Santa Cruz. Yeah. It's so nice down now. And there's, you know, there's a couple pitches down there. Right. There's a couple little secret spots down there that nobody really talks about, but right, it's, it's right. workable down there. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's where the Flying Cat brothers, I think, started. They were, they were working down there for a while. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, there's the Beach Boardwalk is hiring acts now to come out and do shows. Yeah, and yeah. then, but separate from that, downtown Santa Cruz has a little street performing scene and there's mm-hmm. a couple places you could do shows at night. Nice. Um... They make weird rules, though, because it's almost like they don't want you to be there. Okay, yeah. So it's like, oh, you, you know. No you amps, to... no knives, no this, no yeah, that. Yeah, it's just like, well, they have weird permits, you know, so then they make it almost impossible to get the permit oh, where they're just I like, see. oh, you know. Got to be here you know, If you're going to be on the sidewalk and you're going to do a close-up show, like, you can be within a two-foot by three-foot space. Oh. And if you want to do a circle show, you can only do it within this kind of a radius if it's here to here. and But then if you wow. want amplification, you need to have a separate permit for that. You can only get that from the police department. Bureaucratics. And then the weird thing about that permit was that you have to get that permit every time you want to perform. Ugh. So it's not even like, oh, I'm going to get the permit for the season. you got to go to the police station You have to go day. to the police station every time you want to do it. And wow. they don't want you to perform for two days in a row. Oh, man. So it's like, you really make it, it's not going to yeah. be feasible to it do tough. it. tough. So. That's, that happens everywhere, man. It's, it's harder and harder to... Just show up somewhere and do a show. There's really not a lot of places you can do that anymore. It's it does seem to be that way, and I mean, so I mean, there's still Boston's good. You know, they, once they open it all up, it became pretty good. Yeah, you can you can show up at Downtown Crossing and just do a show. And what about other places in the city? Can you do stuff? Around? Yeah, you can. There's just not a lot of great places to do it. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you could do close up on Newbury Street and you know, <clears throat> Harvard Square. You need a f- permit, but it's only forty bucks and. That's right. all. There's no bullshit. Right. But, 
Yeah, and Fanny Hall is like, yeah, audition, you got to get the insurance, you got to do all that same old crap that you got to do at most pitches these right. days. Right, but the insurance is good nationwide. I mean, it's yeah, the same yeah. insurance you use for San Francisco, and you right. for the streets out there, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you buy that specialty insurance that most of us use. And, yeah. You know, it covers you. you yeah, the problem you have in uh, Boston is uh, the management, they, they want to... They want to give the spots to to people that are going to show up, you know, regularly. Right. They don't want to give the spot away to someone who's coming into town for two weeks. Right. You know, because they're like, well, we got these guys here all year. We these guys deserve to have, be on the spot. And right. So and people always want to come through. I tell them, look, you can come through, but you probably won't be able to get to work at Fanny Hall. You know, because it's you either move right. you either move here. And you audition and you get in or you, or, you, or you go and work at one of the other pitches, you know? Right. Which is a shame, you know. It's too bad there's not like a guest spot kind of thing. Where Toronto it's- just started doing that, the Harbourfront Centre. Mm-hmm. So you can get a two-week guest pass in Toronto now. Right. Which is great. We yeah. did it last year. You know, San Francisco, I mean, you can just go out and do the streets. But even, I think, you know, Pier 39, they have a... What's the deal with that? Well, there's a ske- they schedule every month, like the month right. before. Yeah, I think if you give enough notice and you can establish and say, "Hey, I'm a I'm a professional working act. I'm coming through town. I'd like to work the pier." Right. You know, you might get some crappy spots. Does Scott Meltzer still run that? Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then you do like a, they have like a rotation the way the schedule works, and so you go through the list of people who are there, like all the people who are regular established acts. Mm. You'd go through the whole calendar basically twice. Right. And then they, then you pick for a guest spot. Right. So it's just like, you're not going to get the prime spots. You're not going to get the Saturday. You're not going to get the Friday. Right. You might get a Tuesday afternoon, but... So it's like evenings there, or like quiet and daytime pitch, really, or what? No. I mean, it, I mean depending on the show, depending mm. on what type of show you are, um, shows go from 11 in the morning until 9 at night. Right. At night. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it gets really windy and cold and shows end yeah. at 7 or right. 6. Um, I think it was like that when I looked at it one day. It was like, oh, man, I don't want to do a show here. (laughs) It's so windy. Most people are done by about six, but there are some people, you know, like the the sardines would go out there and do the nighttime shows. There's a couple couple acts that would go out there and work it and be able to really make it work. Get get at least two or or maybe three shows in a night. Right, right, right. And it's 30 minutes on and off there, eh? 30 minutes on the dot, yeah. Wow. Hat passed. Gear off stage. You have, you have five minutes of wiggle room. Okay. Yeah. So some the next person's on in five, at five minutes after. You no, finish. no, it's it's a thirty minute spot with a forty five minute break. Oh wow, really? Yeah. So they they've got to let the people go around the marketplace, do they? Yeah. I see. Wow. So every day is broken up into a, a specific time spots. Right. So people can look at the they can look online and say, Okay, at twelve o'clock there's gonna be a show. At mm. one twenty there's gonna be a show. Right. Two forty there'll be a show and it's always consistent yeah. show times. Oh, that's good. Which is nice. You know, because yeah. like, oh, if you if you have a half hour block people know that there's a show. How many slots a day are there? It's only one pitch, right? Yeah, well on Pier thirty nine there's two pitches. There's one for musicians right. and then there's one for variety acts. There used to be two for variety acts, but it's just one. Right. But uh there's the day is broken up into four four blocks. So if you picked like the early shows, you'd get the twelve o'clock and the one twenty. Right, right. If you picked the afternoon, you'd get the four o'clock and the five twenty. I see. And then the two forty is a spot by itself. Right. They say, oh, that's typically one of the better shows of the day. Oh, okay. So you get that as a standalone, and then you try to pair that with either the afternoon or the early shows. So you'd get like three shows. Yeah. You ever do uh, L.A.? 
No. No? No, I never did L.A. Venice Beach? No, it always no. seemed a little scary down there. Right, right. <laughs> Stick to San Francisco. Bit more forgiving. Yeah. yeah. I've never really had a very edgy show. You know, I right. feel like that would work for Venice Beach. You have to have like that edgy yeah. kind of... Yeah, for real. You know, not in your face edgy, but like... You say motherfucker at least twice in your show. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I never did that. I mean, I tried Key West way back when, a couple times. Um, but mostly it was like Boston, San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. And then, nice. you know, busker festivals that I'd get invited to. Yeah. And then, you know, the fairs and the festivals, uh, like the, the state and county fairs and stuff. And most of my summer started filling up with those. Well, do you remember any, uh, like, funny things that might have happened to you in uh, San Francisco, down at the pier? So I was doing a show on uh, Pier 39 stage. This is where I was doing the, tri- I was doing the escape, the upside down tripod. Yeah. And... Um, this I, I you know get two people to come up and help me out. I get the woman to tie me up and strap me up, and then I have a guy come up to keep time on, yeah. on a stopwatch. And so I invited this guy up, and he was a little bit of an older guy. He was probably like sixty, maybe seventy. Right. And he comes up on stage, and and he kind of slipped on the stair coming up, and there was like a little metal edging on right. the stairs that was kind of overhanging, and you know the stairs mm. probably needed to have some repair work right. at that point. But he comes up on stage, and, you know, we get through the whole escape. The show is ending. How long is he on stage? Um, well, the escape lasts for two minutes. Right. And then, you know, there's the whole buildup of, like, the woman's going to tie me up. I have to tell the guy what to do. So he's probably up there for, like, three or four minutes, probably. Yeah. Maybe five, let's say five minutes. And so he's up on stage, and we get through the whole thing. And then at the end of the show, like, I'm passing the hat for money, and people, a couple of people come like, you know, that guy was bleeding pretty pretty badly on stage. Like, right. And I was like, I had no idea. Did anyone notice uh, that he'd done it as he walked on stage? No. Like, nobody called out that he was bleeding. But I guess, you know, he was wearing khaki pants. I just uh, didn't even notice. But he, he had slipped off the edge of the stairs and, like, that metal had gouged into his leg. Oof. And so, you know, he was bleeding through the pant leg. And wow. there was like there was some blood on the stage afterwards. I'm like, oh my god! Like, <laughs> you know, I didn't even realize what had happened. Right. And then, within a, a few minutes after the show, maybe like maybe ten or fifteen minutes, because there's that forty minute break or so in between shows. Yeah, yeah. The woman comes back up, his wife, and uh, she was in the audience while he was on stage, and she's just like, you know, my husband, you know, he cut his leg really badly. He can't move. You know. Oof. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know. And, and then she starts like, you know, this is all your fault, you know. Oh, because you were doing a show? Yeah, and, and, and she's like, you forced him up there. You forced him into your show. And I'm like, right. I oh, you pulled out a gun and, and yeah, told him to walk out on stage? Like, like, have you seen me? I'm like, I'm a super goofy guy. Like, I'm not going to be like, hey, right. get on stage now. Like, and right. I don't take no for an answer. Like, mm-hmm. So I was just like, that's not really how it went down. But she was like adamant about like, well, we're going to sue you. We're going to, you know, who do we who do we have our lawyer contact? Like, we need a number for you. We need a number for the peer. You know, we're going to we're gonna come after you. And I was just like, okay, well, first of all, let me call the paramedics. Let me call the peer right. people to come down. And take a look at him. And they looked at him and said, okay, yeah, this is a pretty deep cut. Like, we can't handle this here. Like, you need to go to the hospital and probably get some stitches. And, right. And he's like, I don't have insurance. I'm, like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to pay for that. And who's going to pay for that? I just want to know who to send my lawyer to. It was like lawyer, lawyer, lawyer. Right, lawyer. And I'm just like, right. So I'm freaking out inside. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, is this my fault? Is this the peer's fault? Like, well, I mean, upkeep of the pits is not your... Right. 
That's not your so, responsibility. So anyways, they finally convinced the guy to go to the hospital. And they, like, he didn't want to take an ambulance. They paid for a taxi cab for him. Right. And they drove a taxi cab like right onto the pier, right at the end of the pier. <laughs> and they were just like, look, we're going to bring a taxi cab back here. We're going to put you in the back. Like, here's $50 to cover your taxi fare to right. and from wherever you're going. And then what? You never and heard then, from him and again? And then I never heard from him again. <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, all right, either, you know, and I think, I don't think the peer ever heard from him either, because I never heard anything. I even tried to follow up and say, like... Are you trying to get sued? <laughs> no, I wasn't trying to, no, but I was just like, like, I just want to follow up and find out, right. like, is it my, like, did that guy ever, like, contact you? Like, what happened? Like, yeah, right. They were just like, no, nothing. Yeah, Pogo Fred had a similar situation recently here in Boston, where his gear was sitting there, <clears throat> and he wasn't necessarily looking at it but while his back was turned someone it fell over and someone like was bleeding or something Mm -hmm. uh so apparently they like ran into it it hit them in the head and it fell over and then they got a little cut on their forehead or something and immediately same thing the guy who was with this woman was like who's whose equipment is this we want to sue we're gonna sue this is pogo fred (laughs) and they got in touch with faneuil hall and and Fanny Hall's like, well, it didn't happen on our property. It was, like, on the other side. It was on the city property. You have to have to call the city. And and uh, I just told Pogo Fred, if they get in touch with you, just, like, don't get back to them. <laughs> you know? <laughs> see what happens. It's just so weird. Like, people are so, like... Litigious. Lawyer, like, lawyer hungry. You know? Yeah. It's like... Money hungry. Money greedy. Hungry. Yeah. I'm hurt. Whose fault is it? Right. Yours. I want your money. Right. Assholes. <laughs> But America's always been like that, kind of. I mean, Australia's getting a bit that way, too, but it was always like, uh, you know, I kicked my toe on your lawn, you know, whatever, mate, have a beer. So did you develop the uh, Rubber Chicken Show when you were at Pier 39, or when did that come about? Yeah, I mean, no, at Pier 39, I still do my my regular, like, busking, juggling show, and I I do the fire hands um, as my main finale there now. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Rubber Chicken Show came where I was doing, uh, like, a state fairs and festivals, and I wanted just to create a new routine for my show. Something to sell. Or just, just something just something different, a different routine. Yeah. You know, I try to change it up every few years. It's like, oh, I have this idea. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to yeah. put this in my show. And so I created this rubber chicken cannon bazooka thing yeah. out of PVC pipe. It was like a modified potato gun. And I had this guy build it for me with a remote control, which was pretty awesome. And so it just, I would stuff the chicken in there and I would launch it myself with a, like a remote control, like a big red. How far it It would shoot maybe like a, I don't know, like a hundred yards or something like that. What? 75 yards. Pretty far. Wow. Depending on how much pressure you put into it, you could kind of regulate how far it was going to go. There's a guy and called so, Chairman Jim in Canada who has this giant elastic band and he, he shoots bread at the show next to him. <laughs> it's so great. Or just like, someone walking down the street. That's pretty funny. And like he's good at it. And every now and then he clocks someone right in the <laughs> right in the head. Or he gets a he gets funny. it right in the sunroof of someone's right. car or something like that. Oh, that's funny. It's quite amazing. But yeah, so hundred uh, feet, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it can go pretty far. And so I, I put that in the show uh, as just something different. Like I said, oh, I'm going to create this rubber chicken. And I'm going to catch it in a KFC bucket on my head, which is really just a, it's a paint bucket that I like yeah. painted red and everything, make it look like a KFC bucket. I, I debuted at the Oregon State Fair probably five years ago, mm-hmm. I think. Like the thir- It was a 12-day fair. Uh, and on the third day, people started showing up with their own chickens. Like there was like, we love rubber uh, chickens. We heard you have this chicken thing. Like Chicken cannon. So I was like, oh, that's really weird. Like, 
Hashtag in chicken my, cannon. Yeah, within 15 <laughs> years of doing shows, like nobody ever did anything like weird like that. You know, right, right, right. It's like wow, maybe there's something here to this whole chicken thing. Like mm-hmm. people seem really excited by it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I started thinking of all these different ideas of like, oh, what can I do with rubber chickens? Like. I could have my ball spinning routine, which I had been doing on ice cream cones. So you do it on rubber chickens So, so I could switch that to rubber chickens. And then I said, oh, I have this rubber chicken kazoo idea. And then I have, like, this cut and restored rubber chicken idea. So pretty soon it's like, oh, there's, you know, like, a funny. whole show. One of my first juggling props was a rubber chicken with a stick inside. See, everybody <laughs> loves rubber chickens. I used to call it Psycho Chicken because of that uh, song. Oh, Magic Brian has a rubber chicken in his show. Right, He right. bites into it. And like the yeah, 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 he bites the head off the chicken. That's right. So, and the thing is, is, like, you can ask any five-year-old kid on the street, like, hey, do you know what a rubber chicken is? Right. And they'll say, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just like... It's have just you seen a, the little rubber chicken key rings? Yeah, 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 I have those, and yeah. I, I usually give those out to, like, when I go to conventions and stuff, nice. I have, like, a bucket full of them. But yeah, there's so much like people love rubber chickens, and, and the people who love rubber chickens tend to be really weird people. I wonder you know? if the people that make rubber chickens are the same people that make whoopee cushions. Probably they're very close, aren't they? Yeah. You, I wonder if you can make a rubber chicken into a whoopee cushion. Oh, yeah. that would be cool. That'd be pretty funny. <laughs> then you get a kid on stage, and you could just squeeze a rubber chicken. Maybe I should just start doing like weird, like novelty, like do a novelty <laughs> toy show and have like farts are funny. Farts are always funny. Always funny. They'll be funny for the next. Oh, because there's always there's, there's always a, the hole in the bottom of the rubber chicken too. Right. You can put a little squeaker in there. Put a little squeaker in there, so it yeah. turns into like a little farting chicken. Yeah, that would be cool. Because <laughs> they have like the pooping chicken, right? Where you squeeze it. Five years from out. now, it's going to be Greg Fisby, the farting chicken show. <laughs> I know. I know. It's going to be a big hit. <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah, so so I started creating the rubber chicken show. Um, and then I just like, oh, wow, I have two products I can market now. I have mm. the rubber chicken show, then I have, like, my regular busker show. Mm. And a lot of the tricks are the same, like, in terms of, like, like I, I only have so many skills in terms of, like, juggling. It's like, oh, I do some Diablo tricks, I do some club yeah. tricks or ball tricks or whatever. So some of that stuff is in both shows. Mm-hmm. But then it's just like, oh, the rubber chicken show, I have more chickeny stuff. Right, so. right. It's more festival-oriented and well, it's more just, bookable. Yeah. I, I, I think they're both bookable. Mm. You know, I think um, it just depends on what people want. Like, the fairs seem to like the rubber chicken show. Cause yeah. A lot of the fairs are agricultural-based and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the rubber chicken show seems to yeah. fit that theme yeah, pretty yeah. well. Well, that's cool. And um, and we've just come from uh, Lawrence, Kansas, and uh, something happened in Lawrence, Kansas? Yeah. At the Busker Fest? Why don't you tell us about that? Uh, a few things happened in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, randomly, like, I took a, I took a spill on the first day and hurt my ankle. Right. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. So, How'd you do cause that? I, well, cause I didn't bring my, I didn't bring my actual ballot. Like, I do the Rollabola as well. Yeah. And I didn't actually bring that with me because I was just doing the Rubber Chicken show. Right. Uh, but I was like, well, maybe I can just do, like, a combo show here, and I'll, I'll still end with my fire hands because it's a good finale trick. Yeah. Um, for like busker festivals mm-hmm. so I didn't have my board that I normally use and I had borrowed a board from one of the other acts there um, but the board was really short it was a board that right. I, you know, I normally have like a two foot long three foot long board whatever yeah. this was like the size of like a, like a cutting board oh. and so I get on the tube and I go do the fire hands and I start juggling the knives and I always juggle the knives with my hands on fire first because it's just like oh, let, let that kind of sink in 
Yeah, and, and then, then I'll you, step on the board okay. and I'll just add that last element, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'm juggling my hands on fire and I'm it's going for probably thirty seconds or whatever at that point and you know people are clapping and cheering and I go to step on the board and it's like whoop just kicked out oh, front man. of me and I went down with my hands on fire. Oh, ba- bailing off a, uh, a rollerball is no joke. Too. No, yeah. Like you go like ass over tit. Yeah. So yeah. I so I cracked my my ankle pretty good and I'm like oh that's not a good way for the, to start the first right. day you know like I'm, I'm hurting you know yeah um, but then the second day uh, you know I said oh I'm going to play around with the chicken cannon because I've never really done that as a busker show thing. right um, so I'll do that as an opening bit you mm. know because we have an hour on pitch for each spot yeah 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 so I'm going to play around with the chicken cannon as like an opening bit as like a crowd gathering thing because the schedule was a little bit wonky. Like the schedule was printed wrong, so people didn't know that shows were even starting quite yet. Right, so like, well, right, we have right. this extra time. Yeah. We're going to play around and just gather attention. So I had this woman. She volunteered to help out. And uh, I said, okay, this is how the Canon bazooka works. And I'm going to let you fire it at me. And I'll wear the helmet, and I'll try to catch it when you fire it at me, and we'll just see how we go from there. Right. So she fires it at me, and like, boom, I nailed it. Like, I caught it on the first shot. And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> and so people are starting to gather around. It's like, oh, that's cool, like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I said, okay, now it's your turn. I'm going to give you three tries to try to catch the chicken. So we're going to send you down across the pitch. I'm going to stand here. You can wear the bucket helmet and try to catch the chicken. And I do this all the time with, with fairs. You know, it's, right. it's pretty, like, it's, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But, uh you know, it's 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 a rubber chicken. It's a, one of those really floppy ones too. So it's not like yeah, you're yeah. Get hit with it. It's not going to hurt. Not going to hurt, right? You know? With the rubber chicken cannon, don't move too much because I don't know where people are coming from. Right. You know, because there's people all over the place. It's like, I said, you know, don't move backwards. Don't move side to side. Like you can move forward, or you can like squat down where you are. Like you can bend and twist and like. Right. Just basically stand where you are. Don't run around. Don't go running around trying yeah. to catch the chicken. <laughs> trying to try catch the chicken. So, sure enough, I go to fire the first shot. Like, mind you, the show hasn't even started yet. This right. is like 10 minutes before Crowd my actual... Them. It's 10 minutes before my actual start time. Right, right. So it's like, it's it's pre-crowd gather. It's right. like, just goofing around, you know? <laughs> and I go to shoot the, the chicken at, at her, and it, it's looking pretty good. But then it's like the wind kind of takes it a little bit. And she takes the helmet off. And I don't know if she dove for it uh, or if she, like, was just overreaching for it. But it's like she tripped over a kid and just went down. Uh, and she landed on her on her hand. Right. And just, you know, cracked it. You know? Broken. And it looked like it was pretty broken, uh, like pretty instantaneous. Man. It was swollen, swollen. and kind of just like... It looked pretty bad. Uh, so, and uh, lawyer right away? Or what? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but uh, you know, we definitely like I stopped the show. St- the, right. The pre-show, just like you know, I'm not sure if a show's going to happen here. I was walking by at some point there, and I saw an ambulance there. Yeah, and I was like, that was hmm. me. But then I saw I saw you. Yeah. And I was like, well, it's not Greg. Okay, someone no, maybe maybe me. someone fainted. Yeah, it was me. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, right. Um, yeah, I shouldn't laugh about it, because I, I still don't really know the full status of that, because it only happened right. a couple of days ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was really a scary moment. Like I, I instantly went white when she went down, right. and I didn't know the extent of it until I went over, but it was really swollen, and, uh, you know, I just handled it the best way I possibly could. Yeah. You know, I, I called the producer, I called stage manager over to get some ice, you yeah, know, I, yeah. I called the paramedics. 
uh, which, weirdly enough, in Lawrence, Kansas, involves not just an ambulance, but they also bring a full fire truck. Right. So Police, just like, everything. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really just like, wow, this is pretty extensive for <laughs> for the situation. So suddenly there's this woman and there's, you know, four firefighters in full gear. Right. Not just like, and oh, gonna, yeah, they had like, you know, they had, <laughs> they're, just, they're showing up for a fire, basically. But yeah, the paramedics took care, took care of her pretty good. And, you know, and she was very apologetic about, she's just like, she was tr- taking all the blame for it, saying... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was dumb. Like, I can't believe I did that. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry for ruining your show. Sorry for... So did you start again after it all finished or what? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, nice. But but I wasn't going to. How much time did you have left? Uh, well, the thing is, by the time it was all done and over, I mean, she was... Uh, when the, when the, the paramedics took her away, actually, hmm. and her... And she was there with her husband... Um, they were very adamant about like, hey, you know, we're really sorry. Like, this could have happened anytime, anywhere. This could have happened in the park. Like, we're really sorry. Right. Like, you should really go try to salvage a show. You should really go and like. She's clumsy. This happens every Wednesday. No, I, <laughs> I wouldn't go. I wouldn't say she was clumsy. And, right. But, but it was one of those freak accidents that she just, you know, it wasn't like I had her in the show, right. Holding knives and like something drastically wrong. Happened. Right, right. It was one of these things. Like I fired a rubber chicken, yeah, and she overreached and tripped. Yeah, you know. So it was just one of those unfortunate accidents. But uh, as soon as the ambulance was gone and the pitch was cleared, yeah, the majority of the people that did stick around had left. And, right. and and it was only like end to end was only about fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah. So I still had almost a full hour. All right. And so I was like, okay, like I don't really that like I'm so like like jittery inside. Yeah, yeah. Just happened, and like I'm not really in the proper headspace. But I'm like, it's Saturday. Get it's, it, on. get it on. I gotta yeah, go yeah. do a show still. Something like that happened to me last year in Vienna. Uh, it wasn't not no one got hurt, but I'm up on top of the pole. I'm reaching down. The lady. Is handing me uh, a machete and like your, your, was it your your four blades? No, no, just one of the one oh, of the okay. juggling machetes, okay. right? And I don't, I didn't have a ladder because normally I get them to stand on the little step ladder. So she was just standing on my suitcase. Anyway, she looks up with the first one and just like I don't know, vertigo just falls over. Oh wow! Backwards. Wow. Off the suitcase. On her ass. Maybe she fainted because she saw you. Well, there, you know? she maybe just <laughs> looking at my shorts. Um, no, but and she, she was fine. She was just embarrassed. She got up and and it was fine after that. But I was like, oh my god. And I was up the top. I was gonna climb down. She's like, no, no, no. I'm good. I'm good. You know. Wow. But it was scary. So was, when it just, was it like really hot or something? And no, it she wasn't. Was... She just like lost her balance. Wow. While she was looking up at the sky. Wow. You know. Weird. Yeah. But, yeah, it's scary when something like that happens in your show. It's like, oh, man. Well, if everybody's insurance goes up this year, you might see, like, a little clause. It's because like, of you. Because ah. <laughs> I always tell you at the end of the year, like, oh, these are these are the right reasons why your premium is no going cannons. up. No cannons. And, it, and it's just like, right. uh, you know, woman dives for a rubber chicken, uh. breaks arm. You ever have trouble with that cannon with the airlines or TSA or anything? Yeah, once. Yeah? <laughs> well, because I have a new one now. The old one was made out of PVC, and I think it was basically turning into a pipe bomb. Right. Where, you know, it's like, uh, you know, just it's made of plastic. It's yeah. like glued seals. And it was just like, I was working in like 100 degree temperatures with the fair sometimes. I'm like, 
I had to keep on like resealing it because mm. it started leaking air. I'm like, oh, it's right. gonna take us for this thing to blow up. Yeah. So I had one built by a by a like a t-shirt gun company, and they yeah. they built me like a modified thing to fire the chickens. They put my logo on the side of it. it was really cool. Nice. So it's made out of aircraft aluminum. Mm. And just recently, I was flying to Vegas. This is probably about six months ago, and uh, I get to Vegas. Flew from San Francisco to Vegas, and I'm like, my trunk feels really light. Mm. And I opened it up, and the cannon's gone. Uh, and there was no note from TSA that they took it. I haven't nothing. been able to change so once. Nothing, you know? Yeah, nothing. And, and so, I went, so I was like, well, fortunately, I'm at the airport still. So yeah. I went in, and I, I went to the baggage claim. The yeah. I think it was United. Yeah. Um, and I said, hey, like, this thing is missing from my trunk. And they looked it up, and they're like, nope, there's no nothing from TSA. Like, there's no right. note that this was taken from them. Yeah. Like, we're just going to treat it as a pilferage, and we'll this just... The exact uh, same thing happened to and me. And we're just going to... We'll have to just reimburse you. And right. Like, well, and they're like, how much was it? Can you, can you prove receipts? And they say, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like a $2,000 prop. Oh, you know? it's man. Not like a, it's not like a cheap thing, you know? Yeah. And it's like, okay, like, this sucks, you know? I'm going to be in Vegas for four days, and I don't have the thing I uh, tried to fly here with. And, wow. Uh, so it turns out, like, as we're filling out the pilferage thing, like, they somehow get a memo from TSA that they did take it. Right. And they labeled it as hazmat and put it on a shelf somewhere. Right. And I was like, there's nothing hazardous about it. It's, like, what do you say it is? A t-shirt cannon? Yeah. It's just like, you can right. travel with paintball guns. You can right. travel with this stuff. Right. You just have to show that the tank is empty. And it's like, here, like, the regulator's off. Yeah. The, the little nozzle's off. It doesn't hold a charge. It needs a compressor to work. Right. Um, like there's nothing on here that would shut. Like, look, the it buttons are here. Off. The batteries are. It can't possibly hold air or go off. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so finally, they released it, and I said, "Well, great, send it to me in Vegas. Like, I'm still here for four days." And they're like, "Oh, we can't do that. Now that it's been labeled as hazmat, we can never touch it again." So you have to go and get it. I was like, "Well, what? even even though you realize it's your fault and you made a mistake, like right. you mislabeled it." It was like, "Yeah, once it has the hazmat sticker, we're not legally allowed to touch it anymore." And they said, "You have one week to pick it up, or we'll destroy it." Huh? And I was like, "Okay, well, I'm not going to be there for like a month. Uh. So what can I do?" And so I finally convinced them to let me have somebody go and pick it up for me. Right. But it had to be a specific person. Like I had to give them like. The, person's id phone right, number right. all this stuff it's like this is who will pick it up wow. and here's how it will happen you know yeah i was uh i used to fly with a chainsaw for a while like you know and just one day i get to boston and it's just gone yeah the, the suitcase is open right. when it comes out and i'm like oh, oh. Really? and i open it and the chainsaw is gone i'm like okay huh. i took my chainsaw out it was wrapped up in plastic and everything it was all you packed know, all in the oil and fuel drained out yeah 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 the electric one no, no, no. It was a gas one. Yeah. Uh, and and that was it, man. Like I, the same thing happened. Like I went up and they said, "No, we haven't. We haven't seen it. It hasn't been labeled." Da, da, da. I'm called for like two weeks, just getting put through different people. Wow. Never heard from. Never never knew what happened to it. Like it's just gone. Wow. Yeah. Lost. Stolen. Like whatever. It's just gone. And you never got it back. No, never. Nope. Weird. Yeah. They kept giving me all these different phone numbers. I'm like, my chainsaw is at the airport. But do you ever have problems with that, though? Like, because it's a combustible engine, right? Right, yeah. Well, now I don't fly with it. Now you can't fly with it. No, I I got a little tiny flight case built, uh, and I put it in there, and I UPS it to wherever I'm going. If I'm flying somewhere where I need a chainsaw, I just do it. If not, I don't take it. You know, some kind of Australia, I'm not going to... Fucking post a chainsaw to Australia. Like you should just get a couple different ones made and have them in different countries. Yeah, just yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm arriving in Europe. I need my European chainsaw. Right, right, yeah. Tim did that for a while too, right? Yeah. Stickman? 
Right. Doesn't he have it? He has those huge cases. Giant boxes. <laughs> the biggest box in street theater. <laughs> like, the massive. Could live inside of it. It's eight foot box. Like, as a house and a and It's a like four times the size of a coffin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's massive. Yeah. You know, it's like four feet off the ground. Yeah. And it's like three feet by three feet or something Stick like that. Sick, man. And he can stand on top of it. And yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. It's like a stage slash prop case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, I've always been uh, a believer in bring luggage that looks like luggage and people won't mess with you, you know? Well, and also just to be honest, too, like if they ask you, it's like, hey, what's in the case? You say, oh, it's whatever, you know? Yeah. And the, you know, I mean... Inside my suitcase, when you open it, the first thing you see is uh, performance props. Right. Yeah, and, I have that, too. Yeah, because if they open it and it doesn't say that, they go, what's this? Right. It's the first question. And there's right. answers written right there. And we're always traveling with torches, knives, yeah, yeah. chainsaws, yeah, I weird got, bladed things. Yeah. Dave Aiken travels with a battle axe. Battle axe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I'm surprised more people haven't lost things through, you know, yeah. TSA and all that. And I always put notes on my chicken cannon now. Right. Which seems to be working, you know. Like last year I was in Munich flying somewhere and uh, and they're like, you have knives, all these knives in your, these, these giant pairs of scissors or giant knives in your check luggage. I said, yeah, it's in my check luggage. What, what do you want? Right. Uh, uh, well, can we see them? Sure. What's it for? Juggling. Okay, here you go. Right. But, like, that never happens. Right. It happened once in Munich. Like, yeah, so that's in my check luggage. Like, I'm not carrying it on. Well, there's always different cities you can fly into, too, right, that are, like, less strict. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I always, I mean, flying into Amsterdam or whatever, I never got questioned about anything. It's like, why are you here? It's like, you know, is it for work or pleasure? It's like, a little both. A little bit of okay, both. Great. Yeah. Have yeah. a good time. No, no, <laughs> that's it. I think, like, Australia, England, U.S., Canada, probably the, like, that's where you have the most questions at the border. Oh, sure. I mean, I, yeah. I, you must have the same problem as I do and probably tons of others. It's like, I get questioned more coming back home than I do going into right. other countries. Like, what were you doing? Why were you there? Yeah. What's in your trunk? It's like, none of that matters. Like, just let me yeah. go home. Yeah, <laughs> I live here. Um, so, uh, you have a son? Yeah. How old is he? 13. Wow. What's his name? Max. Max. Cool. Max Frisbee. Max Frisbee. It's a good performer name. Totally. Wow. Yeah. What's he like doing? You know, he's a teenager now, so it changes every right. every week. But he seems to, you know, I, I, I tried to push the juggling and magic on him when he was a younger. Right. You know? And uh, he tried to, I think he rebelled against that. He still hasn't learned to juggle. Right. Even though I've tried to teach him. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, a lot of performers' kids don't want anything to do with no, it. No, he wants nothing to do with it. Yeah. Uh, but it was funny, actually. I was doing a fair one time, and I brought him with me. He was probably 10 at that time. Right. And he started to do, he started to express a little bit of interest in magic. So I had bought him some magic tricks, like real, he's like, I want real magic tricks. So I bought him right, like, right. standard like, you know, the magic coloring book and scotch and soda <laughs> and like a Svengali deck. Svengali deck, right, right. Basics like, hey, these are real tricks, but it's not like little like toy kid stuff. Yeah. But it's not like full on professional, but it's like, right. you can do some good tricks with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I go to this fair that I'm going to go work at. It's like a 17-day fair. And he goes there, and I introduce him to the fair manager. And he's like, you know, I can do a magic show. And the fair, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> you, know, you just got these tricks a few months earlier. Still my gig? Yeah. And so they booked him. They booked him what? to do a show. 
Oh, um, there, there was this other this uh, other thing called the Super Science Company, and they would do like these science experiments. Right. And they would also do like the story time, where they would read stories to kids at one point during the day. Right. Right. They said, "All right, you know, if you want a gig, you can work and you can do uh, five minutes a day. Mm. You can go and be the opening act for the story hour." Yeah. And he's like, "Okay, cool," you know. And then we're leaving the ferry. He's like, "What do you think, Papa? You know, that was." That was good, right? I got a gig. Like, I was like, yeah, that's great. I said, you know, we're going to work on your five minutes now because you right. don't really have a show. You don't have anything yet. Um, yeah. and, but he's like, oh, that's good. And then he's, his next question is like, so how much do you think I'm going to get paid? I'm like, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. So this is performer boot camp. Like, that's good yeah, for you. Right? Yeah. You're, you're 10 years old and yeah. you've got a real stage with a microphone and like, so if you really want to do this, let's, I mean, I didn't have that at 10. Yeah. I didn't have like, a set audience every day. It's great, right? You know, yeah. Mister Mister uh, Spin's kid Jai, he was twisting balloons when he was like nine or ten, and, and yeah. just making bank. Yeah, Mrs. Spin showed him how to make balloons, and he's killing it. I, I told my son, I was like, you know, you could probably put yourself through college if you start now. Like, yeah, you know, you're young, you're personable. Yeah, well, that's what you're for, like, Daddy. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was funny because it was like the first show he did. You know, I think he did it for about a week. Right. But the first show, he was super nervous about it. And, like, you know, we worked on, like, okay, this is He did it every day? Every day for five days. Nice. And it's just like, okay, and like twice a day for five mm-hmm. days. Um, and the first show, it's like, okay, look, this is what you're going to do. Like, we created, like, a little routine. Like, here's your beginning, middle, and end. You know, I gave him a couple of my little throwaway jokes that it would be easy for him to remember. Right. I said, here's going to be your opening trick. Here's going to be your finale trick. Here's what you're going to do. And the first show, he was super nervous about it. And by, like, the second day, he's out there hamming it up and, like, you know, I'll be on the side giving autographs if anybody wants. <laughs> free high fives for anybody. And, you know, don't forget there's fireworks tonight, everybody. And nice. And you know, it's like, wow, he's, like, he's got it in him. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Gift of the gab. Yeah. Nice. So. But you got a new girlfriend now. Yeah. Yeah, things are good. Things are good. good back yeah. on the East Coast. So that, is that what made you move back to Boston? Uh, well, back to the different area. relationship. Yeah, well, I, I initially moved back here for somebody who I was dating. Right. And then, um, yeah, and then and then I, I, you know, that didn't work out after about a year. And I've been dating somebody else now for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was it for San Francisco. Then, but your son still lives there. No, my son lives in Portugal. Oh shit. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Well, it's almost the same distance. Yeah, it is. Boston. It's about the same distance, yeah. actually. Um, no, my ex-wife was from Germany, mm. um, and so she wanted to move over to Europe and right. give him like a European education at one point. Right. So when he hit middle school, she moved over there. Nice. So he's probably speaking Portuguese then. Yeah, I think he's actually up to four languages at this point. Wow. Because he speaks German, German fluently. Yeah. He, he speaks, reads, and writes in German yeah. and then English. Nice. And then Portuguese and French. Is, he's also yeah. French. So That's the thing when you live in Europe. You, you just learn all those languages. Yeah, know? it's amazing. It's, it's, it's normal. Yeah. Whereas Australia and America, it's just, hey, it's English. Maybe Spanish. Yeah. I mean, everybody should learn Spanish, I think. Yeah, here, yeah. 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 And actually, I mean, New England has a lot of Portuguese, too. Yeah, totally. Tons of Brazilians. Yeah. yeah. It's Spanish and English, for sure. So what about uh, what about Edinburgh? Tell me about Edinburgh. Oh, yeah. You want, how many times have you been to Edinburgh? Uh, I've been there twice. Okay. I think I, I might go back this year, actually, because oh, I, yeah? I have, like, th- two and a half weeks open in August. 
I always notice there's, uh, there's always a couple of guys who come out from San Francisco oh, yeah. to Edinburgh. Yeah, there's Paul like, Nathan, Fred Anderson. Yeah, and uh, there was like the Keith show. Oh, did he do Edinburgh? He came over once, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. And oh, always... I think he did Lynch one year too, right? Oh, really? I think that's why. I think he did Lynch and then he did... Oh, no, maybe not. Maybe he just went and did Edinburgh one year. Mm. Yeah, there's always a couple of guys. I mean, people come Edinburgh's from all over. tough, though, because it's just like you get one show a day. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it used to be you could do two. Because yeah. the mound was open, mm-hmm. and so you could do the mound. You could get like hopefully a show on, yeah. you know, Hunter Square or, or yeah. you know, Parliament or. Uh-huh. Then you could like, oh, okay, I got my show early enough, then I'll go run down the mound and get on get yeah. on pitch there. Yeah. But typically, it's like one show a day. One show. Yeah. Yeah. So I was doing a show on Parliament, and uh, you know, there's like the Scottish Highland bands that. That are there? Uh, so there's like there's, there's Clan Anne and there's Clan Ranald. I don't know which one, but there's... I'm not sure if they changed their name or if it's a different band. Okay, there, there was one called like Soar Patrol or something. Like okay, that. and they and they they play drums and bagpipes. Yeah, and they come banging in like Braveheart guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're like they're like ten feet tall. Right. They're massive. So you got your show. So I do my show. I do my one show. Right. And how long are the time spots? There was like 45 minutes. 40, 45, right? yeah. yeah. Right. So I got a 45-minute show, but my, my show is only 30, 35 minutes. Right. So, you know, I, I build up my crowd. I do my show. And I'm out there, and I'm, I'm, I just finished my show. Yeah. And I'm just about to – I had literally just given my hat pitch, and I'm standing there like to collect. And people are standing up to kind of come and drop in the hat. And the band comes marching in, playing their music, blah, 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 whatever their, you know, bagpipes, drumming, right. whatever. Yeah. And killed the entire, like, hat. Killed your hat. Killed it. Ugh. Killed it. Like, I don't think I made any money. I right. think I made, you know, I don't even think anybody had reached my hat at that point, right, you know? Right, right, right. And so they come on up, and so everybody just basically had stood up, just immediately sit back down. Right. Or they just didn't move forward, you know? And I'm like, okay. You know, like like any pitch. I mean, it takes a while to learn the pitch and figure out the dynamics. And you know, I, I, maybe I hadn't fully worked the pitch properly or whatever. But it was just like the whole thing was just the whole thing was killed. You had time. Yeah, and I still had like ten minutes left. So right. It wasn't even their time spot. And so they come up, and I start yelling and screaming at them, and I'm just like, you know, you effing like, you know, yeah, I can't killed believe, my like, hat. You killed my hat. You. It's not even your time spot. Like like, and he's just like, well, you know. You know we're here now and blah 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 and I was just like, but you're not on for ten more minutes like you killed my hat and whatever. Right. So I you know obviously I, I go and I'm starting to pack up my stuff and get off pitch and everything and and I just start I start just yelling at the guy and I was just like I was furious. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Was well, like, that's my one show for that's the day. One show. Whatever whatever the hat was gonna be, it's like it's gone. You know you're gonna pay for your pay yeah. for your flat. But, you know I go out mm-hmm. to shows and like. I never made a lot of money over there, but basically, like, I made money to go out to shows and hang yeah. out with people, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, at one point, I think he tried to save face with me, and he tried to apologize, really, that he was in the wrong. Wasn't he telling you, like, uh, this is not your country yeah. or some bullshit? Yeah, like, so he starts, like, and so I started yelling at him, and he's like, oh, you know, fucking Yankee, like, you don't even belong in our country, this isn't your festival, right. and you should just pack your bags and go home, like, yeah. this is... This is a Scottish festival, and right. yeah, and I was just like, okay. And I tried to, you know, stand up and be like, this is an international arts festival, and it's for everybody, and it's a cultural thing, and yeah. So you know, but basically, I was screaming at him, and then he tried to apologize at one point, saying, "Hey, sorry that we we walked over your 
your your pitch and all this stuff. And yeah. then I said, well, the only way you can make it up to me is just give me your hat. Like, whatever you make on your show, I'll be waiting here. Yeah. And, you know, you can just give me your hat, you know? And he's like, well, that's not going to happen, you know? Right. And I was like, all right. So I'm yelling and screaming, and but he's trying to save face. And so he tried to apologize to me, and I wasn't having it. So I turned my back on him. And, you know, Tim Motley comes up. <laughs> And he's just like, dude, like he's going gonna... <laughs> to... No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, so he comes up and he's like, you know, he's he's got a knife. He's got a knife. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Like he seems pretty aggressively angry that you turned your back on him. And he was trying to save face. Like I wouldn't be surprised if like he either punches you or, you know, wants to cut you or something, mm. you know. And I was like, okay. And he's like, just go and like turn around and accept his apology and let's just try to mull this over because this could get really hmm. ugly, you know? Hmm. <laughs> That's a pretty good Tim Motley impersonation. Hmm. Nice. So, yeah, so for years I was just like, yeah, Tim Motley probably saved my life. Quite. <laughs> Tim Motley saved your life. You should put that on your promo. Tim Motley. Rubber Chicken Show, Tim Motley saved my saved, life. Uh, Rubber Chicken Show wouldn't exist if Tim Motley hadn't saved my life yeah. in 2005. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool, man. Well, what's next for Greg Frisbee? Um, yeah, we'll see. Anything know? new on the horizon other than the Rubber Chicken Show? Yeah, I've got a couple of new things. I have that wiggly board that I, I, I tried to oh, yeah. the initial creation of right. with, with the, the giant springboard thing. So it's like a rollabola, but it's a spring. It's a, roller, it's a vertical it's a, it's, spring. It's an inverted rollabola. Right. You know, it's kind of a... Uh, it looks it's like cool. A, it's like those spring shoes you can get. Yeah. Like rumple wears. Yeah, yeah. It's like that, but it's like got a board on top. Right. Um, nice. Yeah, I think it, it, it will look cool. Uh, it's going to take a little bit of work to, to figure it out, but I think it, it's something different than what other people are doing, you know? Right. Well, that's cool. And you're going to work it in Boston? going to work it in Boston. I'm going to go out and I'm going to bring the magic back to Harvard Square. Nice. Um, <laughs> nah, yeah, I'll, I'll work Boston. I'll, I'll, I'll try to maybe work that downtown crossing pitch, work Harvard Square, work Faneuil. Then I'll go on the road and do some fairs and festivals. And then, uh, yeah, just try to make it work. And then come winter time, I'll go somewhere warm, I think, and yeah. try to work either San Francisco or somewhere else. Nice. And then uh, apply to the busker festivals and see which ones I can get into for next year. Cool. Right on, mate. Yeah. All right. Well, that pretty much wraps it up then. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, this will come out in about two years. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'll be married and divorced again by then. <laughs> There you have it. But Al was wrong. It took three years. Now, before I talk about you becoming a sponsor and giving the podcast a good rating and telling a friend about it, I wanted to mention that Al has a clothing company called Freak Original. You can check it out at freakoriginal.com or on Instagram at freakoriginalclothing. Both links will be in the episode notes. Buy some stuff. Al could use the dough. And now, this podcast is a labor of love. That's why sometimes it takes years before an interview goes out into the world. But we do need sponsorship to keep it going. So if you'd like to become a sponsor of the podcast, contact me at magic at buskerhalloffame.com. You can also visit the Busker Hall of Fame website and throw a little love into our online hat by clicking on the donate button. Or become a sustaining supporter of the project at patreon.com forward slash buskerstories. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help grow this resource and generate more content. Thanks in advance for supporting this project and helping keep busking history alive. Music for the podcast came from 357 Lover. Links to both songs are available in the notes section of this episode on the Busker Hall of Fame website. 
You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend about it and leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. If you'd like someone to be interviewed, if you feel a certain voice has not been heard, please reach out to me and let me know. We're doing our best to capture the interviews and stories with as many performers as we possibly can. So on behalf of myself, Al Miller, who captured the interview, and the rest of the team of the Busker Hall of Fame, remember, you can't laugh at yourself, find someone else, and laugh at them. I'm Magic Brian. Thanks for listening. <laughs>